And welcome to the chat room. I guess we could be talking about the economy. We could be talking about the markets. We could be talking about the election campaign. Not sure how many of you I'm actually talking to, though, as uh, well, the call, the the lines are lighting up mostly with people calling to say that we're off the air. But I know many of you are listening online. So welcome to the podcast. And uh, we will continue to take your calls. We'll continue to talk about the stories that matter to you. And what matters to me right now, I'll throw this out there and I'll see if there are any actual takers on it. And then I'll get into the election issues. Skunks. Am I alone in noticing that there are more skunks in Ottawa? I thought skunks were nocturnal animals, and I thought that you only would run into them at night, dusk, maybe dawn. But I am experiencing roadkill in every part of the city, day in, day out, at every time of the day, and the city stinks. Now, when you talk to people from outside Ottawa... If you said the city stinks, they would say, well, yeah, of course, you got all those politicians there, those politicians, they stink. How can you stand living in a city with all those politicians? And, of course, those people across Canada, and that goes across party lines, everyone loves to hate Ottawa because of the politicians. Those people don't realize that Ottawa is about a lot more than politicians. It's about a lot more than civil servants. Uh, civil servants. I always say it's a, it's an old-fashioned lumberjack town with a government department grafted onto it. That's the real Ottawa. And it's why I love the city and find it fascinating. But So people outside will just say, of course Ottawa stinks, you got the politicians. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about skunks. And they're everywhere this year. And you can't go anywhere in the city. Are we experiencing a skunk invasion? It's not the most important topic to discuss right now, but it is what is on my mind. Now, as far as uh, the um, the big issue is the election, and I'm glad to see that as I look at the Ottawa Sun today, that they actually have a lot more than just Mike Duffy. Unfortunately, some media outlets are you know constantly talking about Duffy. I agree that's important, but it's not the only story. And so, whoa, what's that? Something going off in my ear. Um, so. Beyond Duffy, they've got a pile of stories. I'll just read off the headlines. Economy hits campaign. Crazy day in markets brings focus back to finances. Does Justin talk sense? Liberal leader tries to explain how we would boost growth. Well, from the heart outwards, of course. Wynn says she'll work with anyone but backs Trudeau. I don't believe that. Uh, Lori Goldstein's column, battles just begun. Mulcair Trudeau fight for the left heating up. Harper Mulcair declined women's issues debate. Liberals pledge $300 million more for veterans, and NDP leader promises to boost old age benefit. Some of the stories that are out there that relate to the ongoing federal election. They're all pretty important, so why am I talking about skunks? Probably because I'm tired of smelling them. But let me, let me just hammer in on one issue from the raft of headlines that I've just read out to you. And that is the issue of pensions. Because if you listen to Tom Mulcair and Justin Trudeau, then they are promising, they're making it sound like they're going to give you more money if you're a pensioner. So I want to specifically speak to that part of the CFRA nation that is retired, about to retire, has parents in those positions. 
because we keep being told that the pension system's broken, it's not enough. Not actually true, but let's say it is. They will claim that we need to increase pension payments. They rarely tell you that includes doubling premiums. If you double the payments, you've got to double the premiums. But if you double the premiums now, those are premiums that are supposed to be invested and saved and then paid out to the people that paid them down the road. So if you're a pensioner now, if you're about to be a pensioner, if your parents are pensioners, are you going to get a bigger payment? Because if you are, what that means is they will be spending millions upon millions of dollars that they do not have to increase pension payments to people that didn't put the money in. So they're either going to be reckless with money, increasing government spending by huge amounts, or they're giving people the false idea that pensions will be increased soon. What do you think they're offering? 613-521-8255. That's 613-521-TALK, star 580 on Bell Mobility, or 1-800-580-2372. Now, there will be a video up shortly at the rebel.media. And I'm going to be sharing it on Facebook as soon as it's out. I'll let you know. And this video will show that, once again, on the issue of pensions, people are being lied to. How? Well, let me just flip down to my script from yesterday. There was a story out that claimed, and this is from the state broadcaster, there was a story out that claimed that Canada is doing badly when it comes to pensions. Right? The headline on the story, and this came out Sunday and then was on The National, it was on CBC Radio, it was on Power and Politics, they were talking about it. Document raises questions about Harper retirement policies. Subheadline. Finance Canada Review of Canada's Retirement System says Canada scores poorly among OECD countries. That's Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. All right. We score poorly, do we? Not if you read the whole report. See, I've got the full report, and that will be posted online later on as well. And I invite you to share it, and I invite you to pass it around. Because the truth matters. Pensions, isn't, pensions are an important public policy issue. And I think that elections should be decided not based on hair, not based on a trial that actually doesn't have to do with the election. Like the details coming out at the trial don't have to do with the election. You can vote for or against Stephen Harper if you think he's guilty or innocent. You can decide, I don't like how he handled that and vote for or against him. But the details actually coming out at the trial don't have anything to do with the election. So I think public policy matters. And when you get a major media outlet essentially saying that we're doing badly on pensions and making it sound like uh, making it sound like seniors are being left on their own when that's not the case, well, then I worry. Let me tell you what, uh, what the CBC story said. They quoted a report from Finance Canada for the Privy Council Office as saying, in 2010, Canada spent 5% of GDP on public pensions, which is low compared with the OECD average of 9.4%. The OECD projects that public expenditure on pensions in Canada will only increase to 6.3% of GDP by 2050, 
much lower than the 11.6% of GDP projected for OECD countries on average. Well, we're only spending half. That's, that's got to mean that we're doing badly, right? Our seniors are being left alone. They're being put out on the ice floe by a mean Steve, aren't they? No. Because I got my hands on the rest of the report. And the rest of the report actually says that when you bring together all the different pillars of Canada's retirement system, they are doing, seniors are doing well compared to seniors in other OECD countries, including ones that spend a lot more on public pensions. See, this is the thing. CBC was pushing the idea of public pensions. That's what they want. They don't want private retirement savings to be part of the mix. It is a, a worldview, a mentality that says pensions are only good if they come from the government. From the same report, which didn't say, by the way, it didn't say Canada's doing badly. It just noted that we spend less on public pensions. That's not the important part. The important part is the outcome. How are our seniors doing compared to seniors in other countries? So, from the report again, with support from all three pillars, the median Canadian senior earns about 91% as much as the median Canadian. So the median senior earns 91% of what the median Canadian worker earns or income earner makes in a given year. 91%. That's actually not bad. What's the OECD average? 84% well above the OECD average, but that wasn't in the story. Why? There's a push to say we've got to move towards a bigger public pension system. By the way, another data point for you. 7.2% of Canadian seniors live in poverty below the low-income cutoff line. For the general public, it's about 9.4%. We're always going to have people in poverty. But does that mean that we're in a crisis? I'm Brian Lilly, sitting in for Mark Sutcliffe here on the chat room on 580 CFRA. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Give us a call, join the conversation back after this. Brian Lilly talking about what stinks, that being the skunks in the street that are the roadkill, the scent of my life. I'm throwing that out there. I'm willing to take calls on skunks, 521-TALK, 521-8255. But I was talking about pensions before we went to um, before we went to the break, and uh, <clears throat> thanks to all of you that are listening online and calling in and looking to take part. Uh, I was uh, I was talking about pensions and asking you, do you think when you hear the promises of Justin Trudeau and Tom Mulcair, do you think that what they're offering is to double the pension payments right now? Because if that's what they're offering then that is going to cost us millions and millions of dollars that we don't have. It's going to cost current workers a lot more because they'll have to be taxed at a higher rate to pay for pensions to go to people that didn't pay into those. And then you've got the issue of false stories being spread about the state of retirement income in Canada. 613-521-TALK, 521-8255. Star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-2372. You want to drop me an email and talk about this? Brian at therebel.media. But it's a call-in show, so I'd rather you call in. Robert is in Centertown. You're calling in about pensions, Robert. Uh, Good morning. Yeah, our pension schemes right now are 
are, are pretty good. There's a lot of diversity. Everybody has a choice of doing this and that. But what uh, Trudeau and Mulcair, they're, they're, they're really slithering money from, uh, from non-existent places. And, and uh, uh, what I really want to talk about is uh, uh, Kathleen Wynne's little plan there. Now, normally, uh, uh, pension money, um, once you paid it, should go into uh, a, a pot like the Canada Pension Plan, mm-hmm. and, and it gets reinvested. Or, now, you know, if it's your own private money, it goes into a mutual fund. Or yeah, what or something like that. But what Kathleen Wynne is doing, well, we're going to put that all into infrastructure. It's like the bottomless pit. And, and, and it's like, uh, it, who, who's going to actually see it get spent on infrastructure? But that's uh, not important. It, it goes into Neverland, and what this amounts to is that when pensions have to be paid out to somebody much later on, the money will have to come from the, the people 20 years, 30 years down that are currently paying off the, uh, their pensions, uh, increases here and there. Mm-hmm. So what this amounts to, Brian, this is a perfect Ponzi scheme. Now, I don't know if she's getting her advice from Bernie Madoff or what, but it, it, it stinks. And, and really, I think she, she can be criminally, criminally charged for running a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> well, she hasn't been criminally charged with anything, despite multiple OPP investigations, because the Ontario political police simply won't touch her. So I don't expect her to, to be charged on this, Robert. Yeah, I can see that. But, I mean, w- when you listen to the rhetoric, let me read off some numbers for you. These are the poverty rates of seniors, people over the age of 65 in Canada versus other countries. Our poverty rate for people over 65 is 7.2%. The United Kingdom, where they don't really have personal savings, it's all government pensions, 8.6%. Sweden, 9.5%. Italy, 11%. Germany, 10.5%. The only one below us there is France at 54 But we're supposed to be following their lead and doing more public pensions, our outcomes are pretty good, I would say. Yeah, so do I. They, they, they could always improve, but they're, would you say that's pretty good? Oh, I'd say that's pretty good. All right. Robert, thanks for the call. Bye-bye. All right. Let's think about this issue. I want to hear from you specifically if you are a senior, you are about to retire, or your parents are in that position. When Justin Trudeau and Tom Mulcair tell you that they are going to increase the pension plan, that they're going to increase payments, are you taking away from that that seniors are going to get increased payments now? Because Tom Mulcair was putting out yesterday, he was putting out on Twitter and Instagram pictures of him. He's looking at putting out pictures of him with a woman in a retirement home saying no one should have to uh, basically live in poverty. He's giving off the idea that if you were a pensioner now, you're going to get more money. How does he do that? How does he do that without just taking millions upon millions upon millions of dollars a year and giving them to people that didn't pay into the system? Because that is always the argument about Canada Pension Plan. You pay in. You get out. If you start changing that, then it means that workers now will be paying for the next 10, 20 years for increased payments for people that do 
did not pay into the system. That's already happening, by the way, because Paul Martin and the liberals did this, or I guess it was Cretchen and Paul Martin was finance minister. They did increase payments and they increased premiums, but they didn't go hand in hand. There are payments going out at a higher level because they didn't look after the system properly before. Tell me what you think. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility, or 1-800-580-2372. You can also drop me an email, brian at therebel.media. We'll be back in a couple of moments, and as soon as that story is up on CBC and their pension shenanigans, I'll let you know on Facebook, Market Open, coming up in moments. Stick around. You don't want to miss what will happen next. He's not been a good administrator. He's not been able to do any procurement for our military. It's always failed. He can't get the grain to market for the first time in Canadian history. Hell, he can't even deliver the mail. Uh, Mr. Harper has failed across the board in terms of public administration and finance. Was there a question over here? From Stokoe and other large manufacturing... All right, that's Tom Mulcair live taking questions. Um, Not sure where he is today. I think he's in the Toronto area. I could be wrong on that. Well... I'm having internet connection problems, which is great, considering that the station's off the air, so we're having connection problems there. But we'll try and get that information for you. But that was Tom Mulcair live moments ago saying Stephen Harper's not a good administrator. Mulcair says he is a good administrator. He wants to to be the man in charge, and he's promising pensions. He's promising a change in pensions. And I'm asking you, what do you think that means? Because when you look at his statements, when you look at what's out there, It appears as if Tom Mulcair and the NDP, as well as Justin Trudeau and the Liberals, they're both promising the same thing, an expanded Canada pension plan. They're trying to say right now that seniors shouldn't have to live in poverty, that seniors deserve more. It would give the impression that they're going to increase payments to Canadian seniors. Can they really do that without taking money from people that are paying in now and giving it to people that didn't pay in at the same rate. That's the way Canada Pension is supposed to work. You pay in, you get out. But you can't double the payment without double doubling the premium. Otherwise, it's changing the system. It's changing how it works. So what do you take away from what Mulcair and Trudeau are promising Mike is in Ottawa. Mike, you're on the chat room with Brian Lilly. Hi, Brian. Yeah, my understanding of what McClare is saying, he's not saying that seniors are going to benefit right now. They're going to benefit in the future. So they're going to start paying into the pension plan more money now. But the people on pension now aren't going to get any more money. He's never claimed that. I He... Posted online yesterday a picture of him with a woman who is clearly in her elderly years, in her golden years, and it says no one should have to grow old in poverty, insecurity, or isolation. Double yes. tap if you agree. So yes, he's, but giving he's talking the, about the future. He's giving the impression that this woman is, and people like her are going to get something out of this. And well, I, I think that's giving off a, a false hope because if they attempt that, then, then it costs us an awful lot of money. And it is giving off a false hope. We're not going to get any more money. And I mean, I'm I'm I, I'm on pension. 
Mm-hmm. And my pension, like the average pension, I'm not going to say what mine is exactly, but the average pension is about $9,600 a year. Try the, and live on that. The uh, average payment for 2015, they say, this, this is the direct info from um, uh, Service Canada. I brought this up because I knew someone would, would raise the issue. 1065 oh, sorry, that's the maximum. The average payment is $618.59 a month uh, for CPP. That doesn't include OAS or GIS or private savings. So, yeah, no, that that is not a great amount. But we have a a system that's supposed to bring in a lot of different elements together. Well, the thing is, when you're when you're on Canada pension, mm-hmm. um, if your Canada pension say $600 a month, then then you're, you're also on ODSP up until you're 65. So ODSP now gives you about 400 a month, which would bring you up to about 1,000 a month. Some people only get about 800 a month. It depends. 1,000 would be your maxing out there, okay? Yeah. And it depends on your medical needs. It depends on a whole bunch of things, right? But if you start, if you start taking that average $618 and making it $1,236 a month, and sending it out to people that are are already retired, that's going to cost quite a bit, won't it? Well, I'm not sure. I don't know how that works because I mean, if if they did that, then you just wouldn't get the ODSP. No, I, so I, I, I mean, the I same mean, amount this, of money just from a different level of government. I mean, with the idea of doubling pensions, if they were to just double the payments but not double the premiums, that would cost us a, a pretty penny, wouldn't it? I don't get what you're saying because okay. what I'm saying is is part of your pension is coming from the federal government and part of it's coming from the provincial government. If they doubled it, the provincial government just wouldn't kick in their share. The feds would be paying for it all. All right. Mike, thanks for the call. Thanks. Let's bring Tom Mulcair up again as he continues to take questions from journalists on the campaign trail. Uh, are we able to bring that up, Dave? Oh, great news. We are back on air, folks. Uh, let's bring up Tom Mulcair as he takes questions out on the campaign trail from journalists. $15 a day child care spaces across Canada. I'll just go over here first to someone who hasn't had one, and I'm coming right back to you, okay? Sorry, you and all the other leaders have talked a lot about the middle class, so I wondered if you could uh, explain your definition of the middle class and who's in and who's out. <laughs> well... I guess I, I can talk a little bit to that because I come from the middle class where, uh, you know, come from a family of 10 kids. My, my parents both worked hard. As a matter of fact, my mom was a teacher. My dad was in the insurance business. And sometimes things were really tough. At one point uh, during my life, my dad lost his job and they had to sell the house in town and move up to what was our cottage. So I know what that is. It means working really hard and having trouble getting by, you know, and that's, that's what a lot of people are going through in Canada right now. They're working harder than ever before, but family salaries are, are stagnating if, when they're not dropping, and household debt is skyrocketing. So the, what's been done in the past under successive liberal and conservative governments has actually increased inequality in our society. And the, yeah, the middle class is being hit hard. Mr. Harper's come up with a plan for income splitting that only benefits 15% of Canadians, some of the richest families. We're going to scrap that plan. We're going to use part of that money to create new opportunities like we're talking about here with the tax reduction for small and medium-sized businesses, but we're also talking about giving a break to middle-class families by helping them 
with affordable quality $15 a day childcare. That's the type of thing that we're going to do. Oh, and by the way, it's also important that people have a living wage when they're working. Okay, we're going to so bring in a federal That's $15. Tom Mulcair taking questions. And I have to jump in there because, and I'm going to play clips of the other two leaders, to be fair to them, because we've had a couple of Mulcair. Brian Lilly sitting in for the chat room, uh, sitting in for Mark Tuckliffe on the chat room for all of those that are joining us now that we're back on air. But Mulcair made a couple of statements there. Um, he, he says he's about helping the middle class. Then he says he's going to get rid of income splitting because it only benefits the wealthy. That is false. That is absolutely false. And it is an idea put forward by people that don't like the concept of stay-at-home parents. That's what it comes down to. Tom Mulcair and progressives don't like the idea of stay-at-home parents. When I had four kids under four and was working here at CFRA as a reporter on a reporter's salary with four kids, three of whom were in diapers, I can tell you that income splitting would have benefited me greatly. Oh, it would have only saved you $1,000, Brian. Guess what? When you're not making a lot of money, $1,000 means an awful lot. But because people that make more and pay more in taxes could benefit more, there's a cap on income splitting. It's not the original promise of complete changes or a complete income split. There's a cap on it. But because people that pay more in tax will get more of a break than people that pay less in tax, progressives are against it. Apparently, they think tax breaks should be universal, even though people that make more money pay more in tax. Therefore, if you cut taxes, people that pay more get more back. Then he said, because he he doesn't want income splitting because he says it only helps the wealthy, but he wants to bring the Quebec model of daycare to the rest of Canada, his $15 a, a, a day daycare pledge, which studies have shown disproportionately helps wealthy families. So we're bringing in a national universal social program to help mothers in Rockcliffe drop their kids off for cheaper. I know I've told this story on air before, but when I was in Montreal and I was off during the week because I used to work a Wednesday through Sunday shift, Mondays and Tuesdays, if I was out at lunch somewhere or if I was out for a coffee just for a stroll, I would see all the ladies at lunch talking about, you know, because I would go down to the nice neighborhood, I'd go down to Westmount, which was the neighborhood next door to mine, and they would be talking about picking up their kids from daycare after they go to yoga, after they go to lunch, after you know, essentially their their social lives revolved around when they drop their kids off at seven dollar a day daycare and when they pick them up from seven dollar a day daycare. So Mulcair says he, you know, he wants to get rid of income splitting, claims it only helps the wealthy. Universal daycare will do what he claims income splitting will do. But I want to get to a couple of clips, if uh, if we've got a chance, a couple of clips of the other leaders as well. Let's start with Justin Trudeau. This is Trudeau yesterday talking about his ideas for the economy. Canada is a trading nation. We will always depend uh, tremendously uh, on global forces. The question is, how do we then deal with it? Uh, Do we put all our eggs in the same basket and desperately hope that oil prices will bounce back up, which seems to be the only plan that Mr. Harper has for the future of our economy? Or do we start investing once again uh, in what has always been the strength of this Canadian economy, uh, its people? Yeah, this idea that we put 
that Stephen Harper put all the economic eggs into one basket, that he bet the entire Canadian economy on oil and gas. This is what you get from two leaders, the NDP and the Liberals, that don't really have a lot of hope of picking up all that many seats in Alberta, in Saskatchewan, where they draw the oil out of the ground. So they're running an anti-Western Canadian campaign against oil and gas, which has, you know, we're watching the stock market drop. Do you know how much of the stock market in Toronto is due to the oil and gas sector? How much wealth in people's pension plans, their mutual funds, their RRSPs is tied up in oil and gas? It's huge. And that is not a bad thing. And it is not the only part of the economy that has been growing. And it is not the only part of the economy that the government has paid attention to. They just signed a big, a big trade deal with India that included not only uranium, but an awful lot of farm products because India has a huge population that needs fed. So Justin Trudeau not telling the truth. Let's play a quick clip of Stephen Harper from yesterday on the economy. Then we'll take a quick break and get to your call. Stephen Harper from yesterday. The most important thing facing this country are economic challenges because we are living in an unstable global economy. Now, what have we done about that? We have made sure we are making investments for the long term. We have made investments in innovation that I discussed today, in immigration, in training, in our trade network, um, in infrastructure, biggest national infrastructure investments in history. So we're making investments in the things that will get us through this and position us well for the long term. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you this as we go to break. Is signing 39 free trade deals, 39 trade expansion deals around the world to get Canadian products to market, putting all your eggs in the oil and gas basket? Where do you stand on the leaders and the economy right now? The number one issue. 521-TALK, 521-8255 or star 580. Brian Lilly in for Mark Sutcliffe. This is the chat room on 580 CFRA. And we're talking about uh, all things election. I'm going to get back to you. And, and James and Gloucester and Yvonne and Canada will get to your calls very quickly. But I just want to make a point here. A story in the Ottawa Sun, not exactly hard-hitting news, but it's uh, page two. That's where they put the fun stories. Trend needs a trim. Maybe time to part ways with the man bun. Let me just say, alleluia, alleluia. Uh, Matt Day writes, walk into any trendy coffee joint, barber shop, or hipsterish antique store, and you'll see them. Man buns. Okay. The fact that he's writing in the sun and talking about going to trendy coffee shops and hipsterish antique stores. Matt, you're writing for the sun. Um, he says, we're talking about the hip hairstyle that has swept through the world over over the past few years. The man bun, not glutes, not freshly baked rolls. Men wearing their hair in buns. Can we just say no to that? Can we say no to that? I don't get it. I don't like it. I've thought about it, and I don't like it. James in Gloucester, you're on the chat room with Brian Lilly. Good morning. How are you? Uh, I'm well. I, I'm take, I'm guessing you're not calling in about man buns. No, but you're right. I agree. It doesn't look, <laughs> it's not a it's not a attractive uh, style. That's just my opinion. You know, talk to any woman and they'll tell you that's what they do when they're too rushed. Yeah. It's like, oh, I don't have time to do my hair. Put it up in a bun. Now men are doing it. 
Uh, you called in, though, about Tom Mulcair, who uh, has the hipster beard but no bun. What do you think of Mulcair? Yeah, well, it's called about that. And I'm, just quickly, I'm glad that the Conservative Party and, and Stephen Harper have been in for a while with this economic, tough economic times back, even back in 2008 and that. And uh, thankfully, they've been in, in charge for that. But Tom Mulcair, what the lady, the reporter, asked him the question of what his definition of uh, the middle class was, and he completely avoided it. He it, just talked about his in being uh, in the middle class, and you know when they had a hard time, unfortunately, and the, his father lost his job, they moved to the, mm-hmm. their cottage and all that. But he he completely avoided the question. Yeah, well, nobody wants to define the middle class, and I'll tell you why. Abacus data did a poll a year or two ago. Uh, as this was becoming the issue, and you could tell that people were trying to shape campaign themes around that, and 95% of Canadians will tell you they're in the middle class. That can't be true, because we've got people at the bottom, we've got people at the top, but 90, 95% will say they're in the middle class. So they don't want to say, you're in, you're out. No, exactly, and, and but... I mean, if they keep saying middle class, I mean, you know, you've got to define exactly what that is. So, you know, then people know where, you know, where they're at. And I can understand that you're saying they don't want to define it because then you've got 95% of the people saying that they're in there. So, you know, and it's the same as this, the the recession. I mean, they keep saying recession, 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 but do they know what type of recession we have? You know, there's there's a whole bunch of different types of recessions out there, you know, and nobody's really defining, you know, if they're saying it's a recession, can they define what type of recession they think it is. Yeah, well, it's uh, most of the economy, other than oil and gas, has been growing. That's an important point to make. And uh, Stephen Harper is up speaking right now in Quebec City. I believe he's making an announcement on ports. We'll record that. We'll bring you his comments, especially if he talks about the economy later. James, thanks for the call. Thank you. Yvonne in Canada, you're on the the chat room with Brian Lilly. Hi, Brian. Uh, Thank you for taking my call. Um, I heard uh, just moments ago that uh, Mulcair made a statement about, and and please help me with this uh, statement. He made a statement about not believing in women staying at home with their children. Well, that, he didn't say that specifically, and he would dispute. What did he actually that, say? He would dispute that idea. I, what did I, he actually say, Brian? Okay, that's what I'm trying to tell you. Yes, please. Uh, that is why they oppose the idea of income splitting okay. is because they don't, they're philosophically opposed to the idea of women staying at home and raising their children. And when they talk about income splitting and they talk about why they don't like it, they say it leads to more women staying at home. Well, that would be the choice they make based on it's better for them or their family or their own choice. Yes. But they always talk about that choice as if it's a bad thing. So they never say they're against it, but they always talk about it as if as it, as if it is a bad thing. Exactly. But, you know, Brian, if I remember correctly, is he not from a family of 10 children? Mm-hmm. Brian, I'm the 15th of 16 children myself. Wow. Yes. Um, I have 10 older brothers and one younger, and I'm the baby of the five girls. I have four older sisters, and my mom raised me and my father as well and we were a terribly happy happy family we cooked we grew a garden 
my parents, we went to the Byward Market. We were raised in Ottawa, born and raised. I'm 57. Well, on Saturdays, my dad uh, took my younger brother and I to the Byward Market back when it was the true market, mm-hmm. not like it is today. Wow. Um, and Saturday morning, my dad would take Pierre and I. We're a French Catholic family. He'd take Pierre and I to the market, and we would buy our meat and eggs in the flats, you know? Yep. And uh, and then Dad would take Pierre and I home, and my mom and Dad would sit in the kitchen, and they would uh, cut all the meat up for the, the week, you know? And Sunday, well, of course, it was the, the day uh, to go to church, and but uh, six o'clock in the morning, they would start making bread for the week. It's you know? um, yeah. It, there's nothing wrong with that, but I always yes, say it's up but, to families to make their own choices yes, and, and not have government try and push you into daycare. My question is this: got to make it quick, but, Yes, my question is this, Tom. You come from a family of ten. Who raised you, Tom? He did say that his mother worked. I believe she was also at home at different times and worked at different times. So yeah. that that's for him no, to, yeah. to talk about. It. But, you uh, know, Yvonne, thanks for the call. We're out of time. We're up against okay. the news at the top of the hour. Thanks for the call. I'm Brian Lilly sitting in for Mark Sutcliffe on the chat room. Don't go away. Lowell Green Show coming up next with yours truly on 580 CFRA. Sometimes conversation, sometimes a little confrontation. From the studios of News Talk Radio 580 CFRA in Ottawa, this is the Lowell Green Show. Don't believe the hype. Don't, don't, don't believe the hype. Don't, 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 don't believe the hype. Yes. When was the last time you heard Public Enemy on the Lowell Green Show? Right? When was the last time you got a little bit of public enemy, a little bit of rap on the Lowell Green Show? Hello, welcome to the program. I'm Brian Lilly sitting in for Lowell. Uh, he's back tomorrow, I believe. Um, so no public enemy then. But you got public enemy now. Why am I playing Don't Believe the Hype? Because that's kind of my message to you in the election about all the political parties. Don't believe the hype. Research. Do your homework. And make decisions based on facts. Because too often... There are no facts or there's twisted facts. And those don't help any of us. Those don't help any of us talk about the issues that actually matter in the campaign. In case in point, the Duffy trial, most of what you're hearing in news reports about the Duffy trial actually has nothing to do with whether Mike Duffy is guilty or innocent. It is essentially water cooler talk. In some ways, it is the revenge of Mike Duffy on the conservatives. And that he's embarrassing them with all this talk about who knew, who didn't know. That doesn't play into whether Mike Duffy is guilty or innocent of the charges that are there, but it makes life difficult for the conservatives. Then you've got issues such as pensions. And I'm saying that Tom Mulcair and Justin Trudeau are leaving the impression that people that are on pensions now will see increased payments if they vote for them. Because they're promising an expanded Canada pension plan. Because they're promising an expanded Canada pension plan. But you can't increase the payments unless you have increased the premiums much earlier. And if you don't do that, then you're spending millions upon millions that we don't have. You've got issues such as the economy and how things are going. By the way, Dow Jones bouncing up after yesterday's huge decline. Stocks on a rebound. That's good news especially considering I read one report yesterday 
that over the last few days, Americans alone, this doesn't account for Canadians and any falling Canadian stock, American households saw $1.8 trillion wiped out of their personal wealth due to the fall in stocks, mutual funds, and so on. So we want that to come back up. But you've got to actually be looking for the facts and not believing the hype, such as when Justin Trudeau says he has a real economic team and Stephen Harper's economic team is could be fit in one room with one chair and one mirror, trying to say that Stephen Harper is the only person he listens to. By the way, PM calling the governor of the Bank of Canada, Steve Polish, yesterday to discuss what was pretty scary moments. Saw yesterday CNBC anchor who covers the markets from the market floor, from the stock exchange floor in Wall Street. Flabbergasted, didn't know what to say, said he had to go take calls. He had to go figure out what was going on as stocks were dropping over and over again. Welcome your thoughts on all of this. 521-TALK, 521-8255 or star 580 on Bell Mobility, 1-800-580-2372. Or, of course, you can email me, and that is brian at therebel.media. Welcome your thoughts on all of these things. Ken in Mallorytown, you're on the Lowell Green Show. You're calling in about pensions. Yes, Brian, how are you? I'm just delighted to hear your topics this morning. Oh, thank you. Uh, Yeah, my wife and I have been retired for a number of years. I would consider ourselves to be middle class. Mm -hmm. We're certainly not rich, far from it, and we are certainly not poor. And we have benefited uh, over the last few years by the income splitting plan. And uh, I don't understand Trudeau's comment that this only helps 15 percent or that it's only for the for the wealthy because we certainly aren't i don't know whether he doesn't understand what the middle class is or what real wealth is i'm not sure what what they're doing and this is this is why i said don't believe the hype and by the sounds of it ken i'm sure you're a big public enemy fan and have a large rap collection oh absolutely (laughs) so right up there with the oak ridge boys yes so they they twist and they turn statistics. And so Absolutely. they're saying it's only going to help 15% of families. They're excluding the seniors that already get that. Absolutely. Because they just want to say, well, it's only helping 15%. Well, you've taken out the chunk of the population already getting that because you're just talking about the people you want to take income splitting away from. Yes. So you've got to look at and do your own homework. And you know what? I say do this on the conservatives as well. Sure. If they, I mean, their original promise was full income splitting which is what Canadian seniors have. But the rest of us will get a cap on it mm-hmm. so that I think the maximum amount you'll get off your taxes is up to $2,000. Let me tell you, if, if you are one of the wealthy that, um, that uh, Mulcair and Trudeau are always complaining about, people like them, mm-hmm. well, you're paying a lot more than $2,000 in tax, and even after you get that 2000 off, you're going to be paying huge sums already. Absolutely. So... Absolutely. Well, I I also, uh, if I can sort of move a little bit more to the to the right, we uh, we raised two boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both worked in the summertime when they weren't in school. We scripted and saved from the time they were out of diapers to pay for their pending education. They ended up both with university degrees without one cent of uh, student loan debt to have to burden them down. And You know, I think to myself, Trudeau talks about, oh, my goodness, you know, people need all this help. The families need all these help. Look at how these poor families are sacrificing. Well, hell, that's what parents do. 
They sacrifice for the kids. You don't have kids in a vacuum. You and you do it. You, and well, then you make a, a commitment to look after them from the time they are born to the time they leave the nest. That's not the government's job. That's the family's job. And that's what families do. They sacrifice for their kids. And you do it without thinking about it. You do it because do it it's the right thing to do. Thing. I can remember many times when our kids growing up would say things like, how come we don't have nice living room furniture like so-and-so? And we'd say, <laughs> well, did you enjoy the little trip we took in the wintertime this time? Well, that was our priority. Take a little winter holiday if we could. But you can't have everything, and people today seem to want everything. There's, I think there's too much of that, Ken. I think you're right. Now, you're obviously nicer than my mother, who I think is in town <laughs> and listening right now, because I think she just said, you're the reason we can't have nice things. Yeah. <laughs> Kids break stuff. Kids stain stuff. Probably so. The other thing, <laughs> I think it's delightful what you just shared about the CBC. I, I get so ticked off because they are so biased, so slanted in their reporting. It's just, it's just criminal, this whole thing of uh, poverty and seniors. Well, you know, if they're going to oh. take $1 billion from us, I think we deserve the truth from them. Yeah. And, and that pension story, I'm sorry, it was not based in truth. No. Um, like I said, the... The story will be up on therebel.media in a little bit, and I'll post it on my Facebook so people can will, spread it around. It. But it, you know, they are guilty of the sin of omission. If you take just one statement and say, oh, look, Canada spends less on public pensions, mm-hmm. ergo, uh, Canadian seniors are doing badly. But you don't look at how are Canadian seniors actually doing. Yep. Well, th- then that's a sin of omission. Uh, and the other thing uh, Trudeau and the Elk want to do is take, you know, remove the cap on uh, tax-free savings accounts. Well, he said, well, it only benefits the rich. Well, you don't have to have 10000 to put in it if you got 50 bucks to put into it. And you start somewhere, you can increase that over the years and, and uh, make a little pot for yourself eventually. Um, I just don't understand why that's a bad thing. And any senior with investment should be worried about Tom Mulcair because he's saying he's going to up the capital gains tax. More on that later on. Ken, thanks oh, for the gee, call. Thanks for making my morning on that one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh, sorry, Ken. I, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. My finger's too fast on the button going to Marie in Ottawa. Marie, you're on the Lowell Green Show with Brian Lilly. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. Great show. Well, thank Great you. Um, I just want to talk a little a little about the election campaign. I, I guess I, I'm doing a lot of door to door door to door. And uh, are you my, out campaigning for someone? Darn right, I okay. am. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I, I I'd tell you my age if if you knew how many election campaigns I've worked on. So <laughs> uh, and so I won't do that. We don't need to do that. But going door to door. At first, I thought, oh my goodness, are you going to face all this, Mike Duffy and the. And I was telling Lowell the other day, it, it people so far are are saying, you know, school is coming in. There's back to schools. They really haven't got into the into the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's people out there that are okay. The CBC, I I forgot about them a long time ago. I don't even go to their to the turn the knob to them anymore. But they are they are upset with CTV as well because they think that that they're not getting the conservatives are not getting a fair shake and even if they do something good, mm-hmm. they always there's a but there's always a but. And one man said to me this morning, as a matter of fact, I was over at the post office and he said, if Mr. Harper hadn't told the public yesterday that he was calling the the governor of the bank, 
if he hadn't have told them that and somebody like Bob Fife or some, if somebody found out about it and said, well, you know, there must be something really wrong because he didn't tell us. You're like, the man can't win at, at all in my books, you know. But, of course, I'm giving you my preference in, in <laughs> politics. But um, well, That's what the show's about, Marie. Yeah. But anyway, you know, the, but to be honest with you, um, people really haven't made up their mind. I didn't get a lot of flack at the door. People are, are, some people are surprised, the conservative ones especially, that we're not lower in the polls because of the Duffy. But then the next half of the block will say, well, there's nothing to be low in the polls about. This is all a well, big, big the, thing. You the know? latest Nano's poll puts all the parties still tied. Exactly. And it's been that way for a long time, long before the trial started. So, And we're holding our own is, is what he's doing. I mean, he's got a country to run as well besides yeah. everything else, you know. But I'm going to just give you one little story, and it's very quick, sure. and I was telling Lowell about it. I was knocking on this door, and, and this man came to the door. As a matter of fact, he was 91, and we were talking and going on, and he said, he was. this was one fellow that was talking about the media. He said, you know, and he just didn't say CTV or CBC. He just said the media. And he said, you know, I fought and nearly died for this country. And he said, and this is the kind of stuff I get? And then he went on about the Duffy trial a bit, and he said, oh, when I was leaving, he said to me, and he said, by the way, I've been a liberal all my life, but now he said I just haven't made it. Oh, so you, it tells you, you oh. know, people are thinking. All right, Marie, thanks for the call. You're very welcome, Brian. Always good hearing from you. I'm Brian Lilly sitting in for Lowell Green. This is 580 CFRA. 521-TALK, 521-8255, or star 580 on Bell Mobility if you want to join the conversation, or email me. Brian at the rebel dot media back after this. Don't believe the hype. Fasten your seatbelt because in the driver's seat is Lowell Green. We are seeing renewed market instability, global instability. We're seeing in particular this week um, significant volatility on financial markets. And we know that is a concern to people. Obviously, it's a concern to retirees. It's a concern for people planning for retirement to investors. And this kind of elevated volatility in the markets in and of itself is never good. It is never good. And it's why uh, we keep a close eye on it. And we also need to say, um, to be frank about this, that this volatility does respect, does reflect a slowing global economy in significant parts of the world, particularly in China. And we've obviously seen impacts of that, and that is a further concern. Um, on the other hand, um, we are not seeing, we should be clear about this, we are not seeing instability in the global banking and financial system that we saw several years ago. So, look, um, these are challenging times, uh, but I think they speak once again uh, to why this government strategy is the correct one. First of all, you do not, um, as any planner, financial planner would tell you, whether it's from the Prime Minister all down, on down, you do not run around and change your plans based on daily market news. You have a long-term plan and you stick to it. And that is what we have. It is a plan of a balanced budget, a solid fiscal framework with lower and competitive tax rates where we are making affordable investments like the one I'm announcing today that will continue to make sure the gross growth prospects for this economy are strong going forward. Don't believe the hype. Okay, that is apparently the theme song. Of today, Prime Minister Stephen Harper talking in Quebec City a few moments ago with reporters on the issue of the economy and the fact that there is global instability. 
The Dow dropped 1,000 points on the open yesterday. It closed out somewhere around down around 500 points. How's it doing today? Well, just reading off the Twitter feed from CNBC, NASDAQ is up 2.67% right now. The uh, Dow Jones up one, uh, 1.93%. Uh, the S&P 500, 2.16%. Gold is uh, uh, down 1.5%. Brent crude, very important for Canadian oil prices, 43.54, so that's up. NYMEX crude is up 2.75%. So things are headed back up. This is the type of global instability going on right now. And somehow this is being attributed to Stephen Harper, at least by Justin Trudeau and the Liberals, at least by Tom Mulcair. But, of course, these are the same guys who continue to blame Stephen Harper for running deficits. Every news release they put out about the economy, they say Stephen Harper ran eight consecutive deficits. But I remember back in 2008 when the prime minister refused to start running a deficit just after the 2008 election campaign. They gave the fall economic update. They said they weren't going to embark on huge stimulus. They said they would take away the per vote subsidy from the political parties, the bloc. The Liberals and the NDP formed a coalition to try and bring them down because they were not spending enough, because they refused to go into deficit to deal with what was then, as the Prime Minister alluded to, the global banking crisis. The opposition parties, and remember that was back in the minority days, they demanded more spending. They demanded stimulus. They demanded deficits. And when the deficits came, they claimed it wasn't enough stimulus. They claimed the deficits weren't high enough. They claimed that the government should have been doing more and spending more. And now that we're moving out of deficit, they're complaining that he ran them in the first place. All you had to do is sit through a week of question period to realize that most of the time, question period revolves around why won't the government spend more money on insert topic here. Question period is theater for television networks. It's not about getting real questions to the government. It's not about getting real answers from the government. It's about theater. And quite often it's about opposition parties demanding that the government spend more, more, more. So you can't turn around after you've been calling for years for more money to be spent and then demand that they shouldn't have spent the money. Well, you called for it. You got it. Live with it. I'm Brian Lilly sitting in for Lowell Green. This is 580 CFRA. Back after this. This boat's docking on 580 CFRA's Island of Sanity. Here's the captain, Lowell Green. And sitting in for Lowell Green, Brian Lilly. Well, standing in for Lowell Green right now as I stand in the before these giant windows at the Byward Market and look out at what is a cloudier day than expected. I'll give you a an admission. I'm not actually researching all about the economy, which is what we're talking about, the economy and the election. It's not what I'm researching in the uh, in the commercial breaks and in the news breaks. I'm taking my folks out for lunch after the show, and I've been trying to find a nice place. That's what I'm really doing. Uh, not looking for suggestions today, but um, trying to find a place that uh, that will satisfy their discerning palate and Scottish budget. 
Eileen in Ottawa. You're on the Lowell Green Show with Brian Lilly. Oh, hi, Brian. Uh, I like everything that you said. It's just so wonderful. Um, particularly, I'm thinking of how, you know, the opposition has, uh, you know, insisted that the government go ahead and spend, 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 and then once they do, then they're criticized for spending. But, anyway, but, but, today- but first, first they criticized them. So they said spend, and they did, and then they said, well, you're not spending enough, and you should spend more. And now they're saying you shouldn't have spent all that money. Right. You can't have it three ways. Right. Anyway, I have only one thing to say, and it's sort of, um, well, anyway, any old fool can criticize, but to provide a good solution is a better thing. Like it's fine for Trudeau to criticize the prime minister for his running of the economy. But, I mean, Trudeau's solution, the economy will take care of itself. The, you know. Well, we'll grow it from the heart out. Uh, he did say we should grow the economy from the heart out. Still don't know what it means, but I did find out it was a bad ripoff of a Barack Obama line. He flubbed. He stole Barack Obama's line and then flubbed it. Did you hear that one? No, I, I Yeah, I'm... he said he wanted to grow the economy from the heart out. But now Trudeau is saying every re- news release they put out on the economy, they complain that Stephen Harper's running deficits. Now he is saying he will run deficits in the future. So he's actually trying to have it four ways. Right. That's his usual approach, actually. <laughs> we'll have it whatever whatever Fitting. you want. We've got a position that matches it. Right on. All right. Eileen, thanks for the call. Now, what was the prime minister announcing today in Quebec City? It was actually about uh, economic issues. And we played a clip of him talking about the economy, economy but... Uh, I'll just read off quickly from their news release. It was about the ports. Canada is a trading and exporting nation, and the St. Lawrence River is at the heart of this activity. We also welcome visitors from around the world via this waterway. The Quebec Maritime Prosperity Initiative will create jobs and support Quebec's maritime strategy with significant support for cruise ship facilities, said Mr. Harper. Our port facilities for cruise companies and our ports on the St. Lawrence River are critical for the prosperity of Quebec and all of Canada. Uh, They're saying it will aim to create 30,000 jobs by 2030, world-class port infrastructure being built and expanded, both for trade and for tourism. That's an actual policy announcement. Those are what I prefer talking about. JB in Ottawa, you're on the Lowell Green Show. Good morning. Morning. The, The crash we just witnessed did not happen just by chance. This was planned. A drop by of, who? Pardon? By who? By financial masterminds. These are the the guys who have very complex resources, algorithms which determine the point at which they can maximize their revenues. Now, for a number of years, what they do is keep on bumping up the stock market getting ordinary taxpayers to invest and uh, keep and continue that until a certain point where, in their judgment, they feel they have maximized the, the investment returns. Now they turn the, with a, a, a precise plan and a precise moment of time in the investment world, they turn off the spigot. They immediately 
start the downward spiral, which they did now, 1,000, a 1,000 uh, correction. Now, that's unbelievable. So, look, I've heard of George Soros collapsing currencies, taking down the Bank of England. Are, are you saying it's people like George Soros yes, behind it this? It's, there are, it's, it's, a, it's, it's powerful banking interests in Europe and in North America. It's just powerful investment broking banking interests because now they reset. They have now got to a bottom and they're resetting the basis of their future gains in the stock market. See, when you, when you go low, you can start moving up. And now they will be moving it up. You'll see actually the pattern is now predictable. It's a six to nine year pattern, and within that time frame, they know they've they've got the greatest number of financial returns that are reasonably possible for a period of time. So then they make the decision, crash it. That well, has happened I, a number of times. I, I I can't I can't confirm or dispute that because we don't know all the details yet. But I can say, you know, for people that are thinking, JB, that you sound uh, crazy or you're wearing a tinfoil hat, all I can say is that Soros has collapsed currencies before. Is he behind this with the Chinese economy? The Chinese economy is probably bigger than anything he's taken on before. So that would be quite difficult. Um, So, you know, I'll hold my judgment and and we'll wait and see. But thanks for the call. Okay. All right. My pleasure. Do you think JB is right? Do you think this is powerful interest trying to manipulate things? Um, Like I say, I can't discount it because of what Soros has done and talked about openly before. Uh, It's not conspiracy theory to invoke the name of George Soros um, when you see what he has done to economies and currencies in the past. But it'll be interesting to see how things play out over the next few days. China has cut the rate. Apple CEO Tim Cook is being credited with perhaps stopping a huge slide by sending an email, believe it or not, to Jim Cramer, the host of Mad Money on CNBC, just explaining that actually Apple gets daily updates on growth in China and things are going well for that company in China. That was his claim. And uh, he being credited with helping stop the fall yesterday. Today, a rebound. You heard that on the news. You heard me reading the tweets from CNBC earlier Uh, But all of this playing into the election and the issue of the economy in the election. Roger is in Drummond. Roger, you're on the Lowell Green Show with Brian Lilly. Good morning, Brian. Many things to talk about, but we'll talk about uh, the election and and basically the economy. You know, I don't know how these uh, journalists can go around and uh, ask uh, Tom, uh, listen to Thomas Milcair and Justin Trudeau about, especially uh, Thomas Milcair, Oh, uh, Stephen Harper created two recessions. I guess uh, I, he's a pretty powerful man if he can create two world recessions. And I guess he helped uh, the, 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 to burst the bubble in 2007 in the States for the housing bubble, you know, uh, crisis, right? You know, during the debate, Justin Trudeau said that um, uh, something, the, something to the effect of, uh, or, no, it was Tom Mulcair. Tom Mulcair, during the McLean's debate, said that Stephen Harper was the only person, uh, the only prime minister that could... Uh, be asked about the recession that happened on his watch and say which one. 
And I remember thinking, no, the guy to your right named Justin called Pierre his dad. How many recessions did Pierre Trudeau oversee? Well, quite a few, but, you know, I... I, I and one balanced budget out of 15, by the way. Like I, well, I, I know, I remember the Trudeau years pretty, very, very uh, well, you know, because I've got a pretty good memory in the first place, and I can tell you every budget that this, this province here has had and, and every debt we've had since the Bill Davis years, all like the whole thing. But aside from that, you know, I had to chuckle when I heard Thomas Milker say this, you know. And you know, back when, uh, when they wanted uh, Stephen Harper, Stephen Harper had a minority situation at the time when they wanted them to, to, to spend some money on the, uh, on the economy because we were in recession. You know, the only place that there was a recession in Canada, Brian, and I, I'm a pretty smart person, was in Ontario and Quebec. And in Ontario, because of the Liberal government, with all their policies, all their red tape, their high energy costs, and all the other things, and then, of course, Quebec with all their problems yeah. with, uh, with all these things. The rest of the country, I, I travel a lot through this country most of my life. I've, I've worked in heavy construction all my life, and I've seen booms and bust cycles. It's a natural thing. But the recession in Canada was mainly in Ontario and Quebec, and it was made uh, a government-made recession called two provincial governments that haven't got a clue how to run anything. I, I, I'd, have to, I'd have to disagree with that a bit, because there was the, the global economic yes, there was. meltdown. They, I would say that the Ontario and Quebec governments exacerbated the situation, but I remember following the unemployment numbers across the country because I was reporting for uh, a bunch of radio stations that are now all part of the bell chain, and each one of them wanted me to give them localized unemployment reports when the jobless data came out on the fir- normally the first Friday of every month. And it, B.C. got hit a bit, but not nearly as bad as Ontario and Quebec, and on the prairies, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, the jobless rate barely went above 5%. I think Manitoba maybe hit 5.4 or something. But in Saskatchewan and Alberta, it stayed below 5. And I kept saying, if you want a job, go west. Well, Brian, I was in, a, I was in Saskatchewan a couple of years back there, and they were building six brand-new hotels there in uh, September of uh, 2013. There's such a, a, a huge... Uh, uh, potential there because of the way their economy is so diversified with all their natural resources. But, but during the, the last 10 years, I mean, you, in Ontario alone, I, I know we've lost about 350,000 jobs, and most of them, if they weren't manufacturing jobs, they were spin-offs from the, from the major manufacturers. And there was one big reason why they left, because of the high energy costs and also the damn government red tape. Like, look at that ring of fire in, in, uh, in northern Ontario. They have the largest chromium deposits in the world. I remember when Stephen Harper offered the, fed, uh, the provincial government there of McGuinty uh, to pay some of the cost to put a highway in for, I think it was $1.2 billion highway. They were going to help pay for some of that to get that thing developed. It was the Liberal government that uh, turned it down. They had a majority government. The Ontario Conservatives voted for it. The Liberals turned it down. Then they got the gall to turn around last year and blame Stephen Harper yeah. for stopping development. You know, when most people pay attention, Brian, we have good governments. Just remember this, you, you opened talking about the media, and I'll leave you with this, Roger. Uh, you were saying you don't know how the media can do this. Remember, most journalists are in this profession because math is hard. And well, when they talk about the economy, remember, they think math is hard. Thanks for the call. Thank you. All right. Nicola in L'Original, you are on the Lowell Green Show with Brian Lilly. Laurie now. Laurie now, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just wondering why Harper doesn't uh, talk more positively uh about Canada, what a bright future we're going to have. I don't think people like uh, whole, uh, gloom and doom all the time. You know, uh, 
Do you think so, he's just uh, talking gloom and doom, or is that just what you hear? Well, you know, um, I did attend a campaign stop, and, you know, <laughs> I'm just thinking more bigger vision, you know, like I think people like to hear, uh, you know, that their children are going to do better, that, uh, you know, I see all these technological changes. I, You know, I'm not a nerd or anything, but I'm just so amazed by the stuff that's coming out and, you know, all the the genetic stuff that's going to be coming out. I mean, I really think the future is going to be incredible, you know, so... Um, you know, uh, like hope and change. If you, that really, uh, people like that to hear that, you know, things are, are going to be better. You know, and I don't want to be like a Pollyannish kind of thing, but, you know, um, just a wider vision that, uh, you know, if we really uh, work together and, and you know, invest in our children, that things are going to be great. Okay. Well, we'll see if they uh, if they pick up on it. I know that their uh, their office does listen to this show. So okay. We'll see, we'll see if they take you up on your idea, Nicola. Okay, bye. Thanks a lot. I'm Brian Lilly, sitting in for Lowell Green. This is 580 CFRA, back in moments. The Lowell Green Show continues on News Talk Radio 580 CFRA. And Brian Lilly in for Lowell Green. An interesting story out of the Ottawa courthouse that I want to talk to you about. I remember when there was a, a terror bust in Orleans. And I think it's the first terror bust of the modern day. That I can remember of the what we think of the Al Qaeda, the Islamist terrorists. It was the first bust I can remember. It was Momin Kawaja's house, and I got here to the station early in the morning. That's how long ago it was. I was still on the road. I got here to the station early in the morning, and it was probably John Brenner or somebody said, "You got to go." You know, this happened late yesterday. You got to go. And I went out to Orleans. And there's the police still outside the Kwaja house, and you could see the, where the front door had been beaten in by uh, the battering ram as they did the raid. And Momin Kwaja had been arrested on terror-related charges. Eventually, he made his appearance at the Ottawa courthouse. And I went down for his first appearance. And I remember being outside, and there was a collection of local reporters from all the other media outlets there, and there were... National reporters, there was some national interest in this. First person being charged under Jean Chrétien's new anti-terror legislation. Oh, yeah, you forgot about that. Jean Chrétien passed anti-terror legislation, too. And I remember listening to the other reporters talking, and they kept saying, well, this guy's just being busted because he's Muslim. Momin Kouaja, of course, went on to be convicted in a plot that looked at blowing up popular nightclubs in Britain. He was supplying technology for detonators to help them blow off, blow up huge fertilizer bombs that were going to be placed in very public places. Now, why am I bringing this up today? Because there's an interesting story going on at the Ottawa courthouse right now where a man named Terrence Wilson is on trial for assault. And he's charged with assaulting another man in jail. They were both at the Innes Road Detention Center or the Ottawa Carleton detention center, as it is officially called. In the Sun today, it says Terrence Wilson had no intention of converting to Islam, and it might have ended there if accused terrorist Carlos Lamond had not threatened to blow up his family, a court heard Monday. But Lamond's jailhouse prostitutalization escalated into violent death threats against the Wilson clan. Lawyer Paolo Giacinterno told the court the tensions would uh, eventually prompt CISA's agents to interview Wilson at the Ottawa Carlton Detention Center. At 11.30 on March 3rd, Wilson let Larmond have it in a cell block beatdown that left the accused terror twin bruised and bloodied. 
Wilson, 24, pleaded guilty to assault causing bodily harm. A co-accused who's still before the courts also faces charges in the beating. Apparently, not only attempting to uh, proselytize other, convert other inmates to Islam, but also threatening to kill people's families because they rebuffed his advances. And according to testimony at the court, trying to convert other Muslim prisoners who don't share his twisted worldview of joining an international jihad, he's trying to get them to, I believe the quote is, become soldiers of Allah. We actually have a problem here in Ottawa, just as we have a problem across the rest of the country with radicalization. Carlos Larmond and his brother are not the only two people who've been arrested and charged and tried from the Ottawa area. There have been far too many. There's been John McGuire, who's not arrested, but various reports of whether he's alive or dead. He was the Kempville boy who went over to join ISIS and then put out the video saying that he used to be a regular Canadian teen playing hockey, playing guitar in a band, and then he saw the true way. I don't know what the answer is, but I'd be interested in taking your calls on that after the break. 613-521-TALK, 521-8255, or star 580 on Bell Mobility. You're calling from out of town. It's 1-800-580-2372. These young men that don't grow up with Islam then convert to it in its most extreme and violent form. What's driving them? I always think that it is a a lack of cultural confidence in the West, that they don't see a culture that is strong and confident anymore, that, that stands up for what it believes in, that takes a stand on issues. It's a culture that doesn't know what it's all about anymore. And then they see one that is definitive, one that says, this is what we believe, and if you don't, then you are not one of us, you are against us. And I think they're drawn to that. Welcome your thoughts. 521-TALK, 521-8255. Brian Lilly sitting in for Lowell Green. This is 580 CFRA. Sometimes conversation, sometimes a little confrontation. From the studios of News Talk Radio 580 CFRA in Ottawa, this is the Lowell Green Show. And Brian Lilly sitting in for Lowell Green. I opened the show telling you, talking to you about the issue of pensions and telling you that I did a rebuttal of a story elsewhere uh, that claimed Canada's seniors were doing badly, and they cited a report. They cited a report from Finance Canada that was presented to the Privy Council office, and really this report didn't show what they claimed at all. What CBC did was attempted to show that they want more public pensions. That's what they want. I told you about that. I read you some of my information from it. That story is now out on my social media site. So whether it's Twitter or Facebook, and that's facebook.com slash Brian Lilly, you can go there. You can see the report, share it with your friends and family, let them know. Because unless you're talking about CFRA, or what I'm posting online, you're not going to get stuff like this that tells you the truth. There's a big echo chamber in the media. And the simple fact is, 
It was false information that CBC put out there, and they should be apologizing for it. Uh, just before we went to break, though, I was asking you about the Larmond brothers, the the twin brothers accused of terrorism, and they were uh, one of them was beaten in a jail. I asked the question. What is it of these young men that grow up in Canada, they have no connection to Islam, they convert, and then they convert to the most violent form? Robert in Canada is on the line. Robert, you're on the Lowell Green Show. Good morning, Brian. Morning. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, um, I was prompted by your comment, the end of your comment, which seemed to imply that perhaps they were attracted to a very kind of defined uh, moral view versus, say, moral ambiguity in terms of our mm-hmm. own society. And I, I wanted to really reject that because, it, of course, it really implies guilt in the process ourselves for somehow having this kind of ambivalent environment. No, I no, that's, that, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that they are attracted to something that is definitive, and our society is no longer definitive. Well, I, I think okay. So fair enough. I accept. Uh, I accept that point. But I think the uh, one of the things that we want to look at, if you want to look at the kind of the psychology behind it, is what is attractive to sort of the young developing male mind about a world which is uh, things are black and white, justice is swift. Um, you know, there's a great uh, sense of camaraderie amongst people that are part of that uh, uh, that particular culture. You sometimes see women as prizes for, uh, uh, you know, for noble deeds. And, of course, I could be defining um, an ISIS world, but I could also really be defining the world of an awful lot of um, multiplayer video games. Now, I'm not suggesting video games are the cause. I'm just suggesting that there is something that makes that kind of world really attractive to people at a certain stage in their social development. And there's the opportunity to live in that fantasy world. There's an opportunity to actually go and live out that fantasy. And I I think somewhere in there would be be informative to try and understand the roots of that. I, uh, I don't play multiplayer video games. So I can't comment on that. But your con- your, your statement that the um, that young men are attracted to a black and white world where justice is swift, absolutely, absolutely, and that's uh, I, I think that is in line with what I was alluding to, right? So so if we, if you if you think about that particular process, so sometimes people have talked about how. Um, you know, ISIS uses social media for recruiting purposes, how expert they are in that particular area, how engaged they are in digital culture. But I I think one of the things I haven't heard people comment on, and I think it would be really instructive for us to try and understand both for the motives and also as potentially looking for the way to combat this, is how, in fact, they've actually been able to create this world where you could really get in there and live that kind of, uh, of fantasy environment. I, I don't think, and I don't think that this is what you're saying, but I don't think we can blame video games. I think it is a mindset that were it not ISIS, they'd be looking for something else. Maybe in a different age it would have been gangs, it would have been joining the army to go off and find adventure. But I think it is a mindset of a certain type of, of young guy that's looking to belong somewhere. And, oh, so and these I, so guys are the strong horse. 
Yeah, and, and I'm not – I agree. I, uh, you know, it would be really easy to go, oh, well, video games are the problem. Video games are not the problem. Video games are simply an analog for what is happening in that particular mindset. But what I think is interesting as we struggle with the – well, how do we deal with it? How do we combat it? What's the attraction? What are going to be the things that we try to do that we try and, and analyze – that particular attraction, and you suggested it might attract people to other military pursuits, et cetera. So what is it there? And then how would we harness what we know about that to try and counter that particular uh, movement, right? All right, Robert, thanks for the call. Okay. David in Ottawa, you're on the Low Green Show. Yeah, I may be stretching this a little bit, but if you're looking at, you know, going back to causes, and if, especially if you're talking about uh, – a country or a society that really doesn't stand for much anymore. And I don't know, maybe a stretch, but maybe I'm looking at uh, multiculturalism that we've convinced ourselves that everybody's great, everybody's good, and nobody's better or worse than anybody else. And and by doing that, we, we've allowed ourselves to become so complacent and to not stand and say, no, that is wrong. I, I don't know that you're stretching it. Um... I don't think that that's the way most Canadians view multiculturalism. I think most of us can agree that uh, Canadian culture is good, ISIS culture is bad, um, that it's far better to live under uh, Canada than it is to live under the Ayatollahs in Iran. Uh, but there there are people that would, would disagree with that and, and would claim all cultures are equal. Okay. Or there's people that teach journalism at Ryerson University and write columns from the Toronto Star like Tony Berman who claims that Stephen Harper is more dangerous than ISIS. So, you know, th- yeah, there, I, there is that mindset out there among some. Doesn't the, the uh, Multiculturalism Act itself state that uh, all cultures are equal? I, I don't know if it states that. I'd have to go and read it. And uh, um, I don't think all but cultures I, are equal. I, I would dispute that, and anyone with a brain would dispute that. I would dispute it too, but it's, you know, just wondering, is, is something reaching from that in some way? Uh, yeah. Let me just give you this example, David. I'll leave you with this. Sure. Since I'm sitting in for Lowell, I'll use the name that Lowell gave him, Ahmadinejadi. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he was uh, the former leader of Iran sitting uh, coming to uh, the United States to speak, and people said, well, all cultures, I remember someone, it was a journalist up on Parliament Hill saying, you can't say his culture is any better than ours. And I said, well, he flew here on a Boeing jet, and he's wearing a Brooks Brothers suit. I think that says everything. Thanks for the call, David. Thank you. All right. So a discussion for ISIS is there if you want to get into that. 521-TALK, 521-8255, or Starfay of 80 on Bell Mobility. Why are our young people in this country attracted to it? I'm asking this based on looking at the, the issue of the jailhouse beating that Carlos Larmon got for apparently trying to recruit people to join Islam and recruit Muslims who are in jail already to become so-called soldiers of Allah. Welcome your thoughts on that, 521-TALK, 521-8255. But since we were talking about the issue of the economy, there's an awful lot of discussion about that on the campaign trail right now. So I want to play a, a couple of clips of the different leaders talking about the issue of the economy. We'll start with Tom Mulcair, who was speaking earlier today and saying Stephen Harper just doesn't have the chops. For the first time, in our country's history, current generations will actually be worse off than their parents. And Mr. Harper's record on the economy is just one more reason why we need change in Ottawa. 
Now, there's troubling news in the markets this week, but families across Canada have known for a long time Stephen Harper's economic plan is not working. Is Stephen Harper's plan not working? I don't know. I, I would have to say that Canada has been doing better than most of the other, uh, most of the other parts of the world. We've been doing better than most of the European countries. Europe has been having difficulty. Let's hear what Stephen Harper is saying, because he's being told, well, the markets are doing bad things, so you better change. This week, um, significant volatility on financial markets. And we know that is a concern to people. Obviously, it's a concern to retirees. It's a concern for people planning for retirement, to investors. And this kind of elevated volatility in the markets in and of itself is never good. It is never good. And it's why uh, we keep a close eye on it. And we also need to say, um, to be frank about this, that this volatility does respect, does reflect a slowing global economy in significant parts of the world, particularly in China. And we've obviously seen impacts of that, and that is a further concern. Um, on the other hand, um, we are not seeing, we should be clear about this, we are not seeing instability in the global banking and financial system that we saw several years ago. So, look, um, these are challenging times, uh, but I think they speak once again uh, to why this government strategy is the correct one. All right. Now, last clip before we go to a break, and it's about the Alberta economy, because we're hearing that Canada is doing badly because Stephen Harper put all the all the eggs in the oil and gas basket. Listen to this report on the Alberta economy from CTV. It aired just about half an hour ago. With the market drop, the price of oil has fallen to a six and a half year low. And that has Edmonton's chief economist telling Albertans that they should expect a provincial recession. The price of crude closed at just over $38 a barrel U.S. yesterday. At that level, oil companies aren't making money, meaning they've had to lay people off. Edmonton's chief economist predicts by year's end, the unemployment rate in Alberta will spike at 7% with 50,000 Albertans unemployed. Experts believe oil prices may dip further, then make a slow rebound to what some describe as a new normal. The price of oil did open slightly higher this morning, but is still trading below $40 a barrel. Did you hear that? Alberta's unemployment rate will spike to 7%. It only recently went over 5 So it is going to be a big jump for them. Meanwhile, we're complacent in Ontario because we're, we're all the way down to 6.5%. We were told when we were above 7 that things were still good. That's, that's the different mindset. The different mindset is Kathleen Wynne, 7% is good. Alberta, 7% is bad. Welcome your thoughts on all of this. 521-TALK, 521-8255 or star 580 on Bell Mobility, 1-800-580-2372. I'm Brian Lilly sitting in for Lowell Green. You're listening to 580 CFRA. Because in the driver's seat is Lowell Green. There, Brian Lilly sitting in for Lowell Green, taking phone calls everywhere including from Spruce Grove, Alberta. And Raymond is on the Low Green Show from Spruce Grove. You're calling in about the election, Raymond. Hi, Brian. No, I'm, I'm, I have a question regarding uh, Thomas Mulcair's whole idea for, um, uh, for daycare. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I haven't heard anybody speak yet about, uh, about 
quality concerns regarding it, right? Because uh, when, whenever I picture um, cheap $15 daycare, I, I, I think about uh, the uh, hospital waiting rooms and uh, long <laughs> waiting times. And uh, I, I think about school classrooms packed with, you know, 40 or 50 kids with one teacher. Well, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's an issue because uh, you were saying that uh, that the whole plan really only benefits um, the richer it, people. It, it doesn't only benefit, but those are where the uh, um, the benefits accrue to on, on a higher scale. Let Let me just tell you a couple of things here. One, okay. they're going to claim that um, this is good for the economy. It'll get more people in the labor force. The labor force participation rate in Quebec. 64% among the lowest yeah. in the country. So it doesn't actually help put mothers back to work and get more mothers in the workforce or expand the workforce. As far as the quality control, studies done by social scientists and economists have found an increase in child obesity and behavioral problems since the introduction of Quebec's universal system. Daycare okay, is great for some families. Daycare is essential for some families. It's not for everyone. And yet when you make it a universal program like that, you end up pushing people in that otherwise might not have gone into it. Okay, interesting. Yeah, cause I hadn't heard any statistics about that from anyone. I'll I'll look up that story and post it to my Facebook page uh, later on. So facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. Look for it awesome. there. All right, thanks a lot, Raymond. Cheers. All right, Chris in Ottawa, you're on the Lowell Green Show with Brian Lilly. Yeah, Brian. Just with regards to the economic uh, policies now that's, uh, that we're, we're hearing from the NDP Liberals and the Conservatives, for for guys like me, you know, just an ordinary citizen, I, I have to look at you know what's happening on the ground and what happened before, what's happening from the parties that's tangible. So when Malker comes around and he says, you know, we need an alternative to the Conservative uh, economic plan. You know that doesn't mean much to me because I need specifics. I need, uh, I need, you know, I need something to go on. So when I when I see Alberta go to an NDP government, I watch carefully. So what have they done since they came to power in Alberta? Now, well, the first thing they did is they instituted the corporate tax law. So and that's 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 a fact. That's that's what happened. Well, and and Mulcair has promised to increase the corporate tax rate. Federally. Right. And what so what does that mean, though? What are repercussions? Well, I know one of the biggest companies in Alberta was forecasting a profit of more than a billion after the tax. And that's also fact. They they uh, went into four hundred and fifty two million dollar loss, which meant that they had to cut jobs. So. So. For me, the NDP plan does not work. It just doesn't work because I see the facts. So when he comes out and he says this and and it's all hogwash and there's no specifics, it worries me. Well, it, I can give you a couple of quick facts and then we'll have to wrap up, uh, Chris. But let me tell you, they want to bring back the wheat board. They want to ban exports of logs from Canada, uh, enforce the manufacturing to be done here. They want to increase the corporate tax rate. They want to increase capital gains taxes on any investment you have. Does that sound good? Yeah, it's, it's not going to work. And, you know, anyone that's listening out there, please look at what happened in Greece. Look at, look at what happened in Detroit. You know, there's a time and place for everything. And I'm not one of those people that, you know, okay, I'm going to vote, you know, liberals or, or conservatives. I look at the platforms. And right now, as I see it on the ground, 
the Liberals and the NDP economic platform will hurt us. It will definitely hurt us. Well, thanks for looking at the actual platforms and the issues. And thanks for the call, Chris. That's the way you have to do it, folks. You have to do your homework. I was playing public enemy earlier. Don't believe the hype. It's true. Don't believe the hype. Do your homework. See what they're proposing and ask if it will work. Chris did that. He found Mulcair wanting. What do you think? 521-TALK, 521-8255. Brian Lilly sitting in for Lowell Green on CFRA. This boat's docking on 580 CFRA's Island of Sanity. Here's the captain, Lowell Green. And I'm Brian Lilly sitting in for Lowell Green. Um, yeah, this is This is disturbing. If you are trying to eat healthier, we'll get back to talking about Islam and why some people become radicalized. We'll get back to talking about the election. But this just came across uh, to me. Saw it on the uh, the website smalldeadanimals.com. A story from the New York Times on the weekend about recalls of organic food on the rise and a claim that organic food accounts for four to 9, uh, 4.9 to 7% of food recalls, but it's less than 3% of food sales. So organic food being recalled more than the processed stuff. Is that of concern to you, especially if you're trying to eat healthy? Is it always safe? Next time I'm on, I should get, um, there's a fellow I know, he's from Canada, he's down in Texas now. He talks about some of the false information that's out there about organic food. I'm back in on the chat room on Thursday. We'll try and get him in uh, then. And, uh, and talk about that. So your thoughts. Do you try and eat healthy and go for organic food? And if so, hmm, maybe it's not necessarily helping you. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility, or 1-800-580-2372. I've been talking about the election. have been talking about the, uh, the issue of radical Islam and why some people are drawn to it. You've got the story in, uh, well, both papers today and on CFRA yesterday. Uh, Carlos Larmond, one of the twin brothers accused of joining a plot, was beaten in the Ottawa Carlton Detention Center. He was beaten back in March. The trial of the man that beat him, Trevor Wilson or Terence Wilson, is on now. And Wilson's defense is this guy wouldn't stop bugging me about becoming a Muslim. And then when I said no, he threatened to blow up my family. Other testimony revealed at the Ottawa Courthouse yesterday, also had Carlos Larmond trying to recruit a fellow Muslim inmate to become, quote, a soldier of Allah, unquote. How does a guy like this, who did not grow up with any Islam at all, not only convert to Islam, but convert to this form? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. I think there is a problem with some of our young people in Ottawa. These twins, not alone. There are probably close to a dozen that we have to be worried about over the last couple of years here in Ottawa. Jonathan in Ottawa, you're on the Lowell Green Show. Yes, yes, Brian. You know, uh, this problem of why do some Muslims become uh, violent and criminal, you know, Winston Churchill had it right, you know, a long time ago. But I'm specifically talking about these young guys that convert from nothing to that. Yes, that's right. Well, as Winston Churchill said is that Islam is probably the most dangerous philosophy ever invented by man. I've got three Qurans, okay? 
The Quran is the problem. The Quran is a violent and criminal book, and anyone who reads that book and believes it for what it says well, is going to become a violent person. I, obviously, there's a lot of people that don't, because well, not everyone is there. Jonathan, may I quote you? Okay. May I quote you? Okay. I've got three Qurans, and I've got uh, a couple of whitewashed versions from uh, chapters, but I've also got an official interlinear Arabic version from Mecca. And that one is the most violent one of all. For instance, look look what it says in, in chapter uh, 8, verse 12, uh, Surah, chapter 8, and I'm quoting directly from the Quran. It says here that Allah inspired his angels. I am with you, so make the Muslims strong. I will put terror into the hearts of non-Muslims. That's you and me. And it says, and then look at what it says. I quote, it says, so cut off their necks and cut off every fingertip. Be, uh, do that because they opposed Allah and his apostle. Now, that is a criminal statement. Now, here in Canada, we have a law that says it is illegal to, to counsel to commit murder. And, and, Brian, I'm telling you, the Koran counsels to commit murder. And that book should, that book should be a, a, a warned against. The police and the government should warn people that the, that the Koran well, is can, a criminal book. Then you can proselytize against Islam. Yes, But obviously most, most Muslims don't follow that instruction. Thank God. Okay. Thank God. But in but, the Koran, but, but it says why go do you and think... murder non-Muslims. Okay, so you can answer my question, or I can hang up, because I'm asking why do you think these young men who don't grow up with anything convert and then go to the most radicalized form? Well, because they get convinced that the Quran is the Word of God, and if you're convinced that that evil book is the Word of God, then you're going to follow uh, Surah 8, verse 12. You're going to fall. And I'm, Brian, I could fill this whole program with other quotes from the Quran that are that is equally as violent and criminal as the text that I just quoted you. And I've got three I don't Quran. I don't have that book in front of me. And so I can't say yes or no. And so it's a, it is an unfair discussion for me at this point. OK, well, but Jonathan, I can give you the quote. Uh, well, I, I'll listen back on the uh, on the podcast later and, and write it down and look it up. But thanks for the call, Jonathan. OK, Farin. In Ottawa, you are on the Low Green Show. Hi, how are you, sir? This is my first time talking on the air live like this, and well, it's, also, ju it's just two uh, guys talking. Also, I heard the guy who was talking a while ago about Islam. He said it's radical, it's it's evil. It's, that's not true, sir. And I believe you're right when you said not most of the Muslims acting like that, only I, the young who doesn't know or they have no idea about Islam. We, we, we can't deny that there are violent passages and calls to violence in the Quran. Yeah, but let me tell you something. This kind of Islam, sir, came after the Second World War. Before the Second World War, it wasn't like this. There is nothing called terror in Islam, which is attacking or suicide themselves as a jihad. This thing. It's, yeah, I, you know, I talked to yeah. Tarek Fatah. He tells me it yeah. all stems from the Muslim Brotherhood. I don't know if you agree with me or disagree with me to talk live about it, but it's it's mixed religion well, the, the, and politics. The, the, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood, together, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood was that fusion of politics and religion. They started but, in 1929, but really grew during and I, after I the war. I disagree with them since they start. I read about them many things. 
And and since they start in Egypt a long time ago, uh, they were wrong, totally wrong. Well, they they are the, am, they're the root of a lot Shia. of the problem, are they not? Muslim, uh, uh, which is uh, Sunni. We don't mm-hmm. call them Sunni. We call ourselves Sunni because Shia who follow the prophets and the prophets' family members since he died. At the time, the Prophet Muhammad death, he collect his friends around him and he asked them to follow what he going to write to them in a letter. But most of them, they refused. Who refused that time after the Prophet Muhammad death? They took Islam like another way, different, wrong side. That's that's a long-standing you know, from, feud. Yeah, We're not going to so settle on CFRA. Yeah, it's like this. And those guys, they follow or who's they call themselves Sahaba. Sahaba is the friend of the Prophet. Okay. And most of them, they kill each other. They fight each uh, other. Uh, all you right. know what I mean? So, you know, so that's like trying the to. Idea, yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's try and, and you know settle the schism of eighteen or ten fifty one at the same time here, Farhan. We can't do that. But thanks for the call. Yeah. Thanks for the thoughts on uh, no on the Muslim Brotherhood. John in Elmer, you're on the Lowell Green Show with Brian Lilly. Yeah. Hi. This is John. Uh, Brian, how are you doing? Doing well. Yourself? Good. Well, not too bad. Uh, things are on the upturn as far as the politics are concerned. Yeah, why? Well, <laughs> well, everybody seems to be hiding in the Duffy trial. Nobody wants to be telling the truth. They all miss the emails. They all miss the, the very important words that say, I'm going to be paying Duffy off. Nobody knows anything about it. And Stephen Harper still goes on the trail saying, I know nothing. I see nothing. I hear nothing. We just want some truth. Okay. Uh, could I just say something? I just wanted to say something about the veterans to begin with, but you got me going on this thing. I'm glad that the veterans are going to be getting their pensions back if the liberals are voted back in, uh, and also opening up the nine regional offices. I hope you're happy about that, too. Uh, let's talk about the pension, Sean. And I know you're a big fan of Justin Trudeau. Uh, I'm, ju- I'm a fan of justice and democracy. Okay. Who, before, who brought in— I've said before, who, I don't care who gets in. I hope the liberals do, but if if uh, the NDP, I'm not that uh, fanatic, a politician. Who, who, or, or Okay, let me ask you, know? you the question. Okay. You haven't let me ask you the question. Go ahead. Who brought in the new Veterans Charter I know that. that did away with the pension? Yes, I know that. And who, who, no, answer the question. Who okay. did? It, it was the liberals, along with the uh, Tories, who, who, when they came into power, they wrapped themselves around it and said, this okay. is fantastic. So let, yes let, no? let me tell you a couple of facts. Yes or no? Let, let me tell you a couple okay. of facts yeah. about how it came in. Right. It was instituted by the liberals. Yeah. Albina Guarnieri was the veteran affairs minister back then. She had the full support of the NDP, the Bloc, and the Conservatives. This used to be the most nonpartisan issue because everyone just wanted to do what was best for the veterans. Yeah. The implementation of the new Veterans Charter has not lived up to its promise, and there have been attempted changes. But now it is becoming a very partisan, politicized issue. And as far as closing those nine offices, <clears throat> don't tell me that they can't get service. The idea is that instead of going to... A, an isolated Veterans Affairs Office, it's wrapped up with Service Canada, which is what is happening across the country with all services, just like in Ottawa City Hall. I go down to Ottawa City Hall. I go in to the left, all the provincial services to the right, the federal services, the city services are there. And if you need something, you are referred to the right person and you get the help you need. May I say something now? I suppose you may. Okay. What about our veterans? 
Do you think that they're making this up for nothing? Some of them are in there. Yes, 90s. I think that guy think that said. I think the guy that said uh, Veterans Affairs is telling me to prove my legs didn't go back is full of it because you are required. Everyone is required to fill out a standard form that simply says, "Has your condition improved?" And he turns around and he goes before the media but, and he says, stupid, "They want to know. They want to know." Have my legs grown back? That's not what you was asked. No, you asked, you asked, you asked, are they making it up? And this guy that said, they told me to prove my legs didn't grow back. And he got media attention for a week based on a lie. One person got mad and got disgusted with being asked that over and over. But we're talking about tens of thousands. It's a standard form that every every, veteran has to fill out. I'm sorry. It's a standard form that every yeah. veteran has to fill well, out because your your condition their, can their improve. They were had their offices closed. They got their offices transferred to no, a new no, location. They were, they were people could not reach the others. They said, "Please, could you please leave these on? Leave, leave these open at least until we're gone." And then you know, I mean, the older veterans, some of the the, the younger ones had to be had to use that too, but. Uh, to take claw back their pensions. Now, you say that everybody agreed on it. Yes, this was an experiment to see if it would work. It was obviously after the first two years or so that it wasn't going to work, and that's why uh, Colonel uh, Stilgren said, this has to change. We have to, this, this is wrong. This has all gone wrong. If Paul Martin had been in, in office, there's no doubt. He was called Mr. Dithers, but he was called that for a reason, because he could see something was wrong. He would have changed it right away. He was called Anybody Mr. Else, Dithers because he Stephen couldn't. Stephen Harper stuck to it no matter what. He was called Mr. Dithers because he couldn't make no. a decision. No, 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 because he wasn't as hard rock and, and cruel as Stephen Harper. And the people know this now. And now there's, a, there's somebody called Tom... Uh, what was it, Beaver or something? Somebody, somebody uh, in in, uh, in if the you can't, uh, East Coast. If you can't remember their name, don't expect no, no, okay. me well, to. Okay, it was on yesterday's radio. Somebody on the East Coast has started a group called uh, uh, Anybody But Harper or Anybody But Conservatives. Colonel Stan- Colonel Stogren, when he was in, was told, "Okay, your three years are up." Do you remember him? He, yeah. was, he really was a hero, and he but he always played it down. He, he wasn't like some other people in politics. He, and he uh, said, we need to do something about this. was about four years ago. I think it was before the election. And, uh, went across the country trying to tell people on CBC, Global, CTV, please, I beseech you, you've got to do something. The conservative government is killing the veterans with the way they're doing these things, and it's, and it's driving yes, us all yes, mad. Yes, they're, they're, they're pulling out knives and killing okay, veterans. Okay, Jean, no, we're, you know what I mean. we're up against they the clock. They, Thanks for the call. Sorry. We're out of time. I'm Brian Lilly, filling in for uh, Lowell Green on 580 CFRA, back after this. Coming up, he talks the talk and takes your call. Stay with us for more of the one and only Lowell Green on 580 CFRA. The Lowell Green Show continues on News Talk Radio 580 CFRA. Speaking with John, five minutes of my life I'll never get back. He's probably still yelling at his radio in Elmer and claiming I didn't let him speak, but he got more than most because... Well, we are having a debate. That's part of what it's about. I'm Brian Lilly sitting in for Lowell Green. Show's almost over, but we will get to Gloria and Zachary uh, before the end. We're going to make it quick. Just a reminder, that story I was telling you about, about pensions, the false story, and the reality. It's up on my Facebook page right now, facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. And Gloria in Ottawa, you're on the Lowell Green Show with Brian Lilly. Good morning to you. Good (laughs) morning. We got to make it quick so we can get you both in. Okay, I'll go 
quickly. Okay, Mulcair, he, he continually blamed Harper for our unemployment situation, but he ignores the fact that almost half of the unemployment is in Ontario uh, because the, the Liberals had filled manufacturing with the disastrous running of the province. We've got the highest hydro rates in North America, high taxes, uh, world debt of $300 billion, and uh, businesses are leaving Ontario. They're fleeing Ontario. And just to mention Trudeau, uh, I can't believe Trudeau is actually having win campaign for him with her disastrous <laughs> policies. Some I mean, people so, love her. She got a majority just a year ago. I know, but it didn't. It, we didn't give the, her the majority to ruin the province like she's doing. It, 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 to me, it just shows that Justin Trudeau agrees with how she's she's running the province. And I'll tell you, it scares me to think that what would happen if Trudeau was ever elected uh, a prime minister. How, how, what would happen to, uh, to Canada if he agrees with how uh, she's uh, Wynne is running the, prov- uh, the province? It's unbelievable. He, he, his, his decisions are, are mind-bogglingly ridiculous. Uh, it, it shows his thought process, if there is any. <laughs> if there is any. Gloria, thanks for the call. Thank you. I'll say this, okay? Uh, you've got Justin Trudeau, his top advisor. Help design the green energy plan for Ontario. So if you like your hydro bill going up, vote for Justin Trudeau. They'll bring that idea nationally. And as far as Tom Mulcair goes, he wants the same type of command and control economy that they have in Quebec. That has been disastrous for Quebec's economy. Zachary in Ottawa, you're on the Lowell Green Show. Hey, Brian, how are you? I'm doing well. Your thoughts, good, sir? Good, good. Oh, I just wanted to call in about the last, uh, it was probably about four or five callers ago, talking about the Quran and talking about how um, it's a vile and evil book. Um, at the end of the day, I think that we're not going to find a solution to the problem with radical Islam by, by cherry-picking, you know, quotes or verses from a book that, you know, 1.5 billion people follow. Um, realistically, if you look at any religious script, any religious, you know, doctrine, there's going to be negative things and stuff that are, you know, bad in it. You look at the Bible, for example, just read through, you know, Exodus and Genesis, and you can see that there's some pretty crazy stuff in there. But it doesn't mean that all the, all the Christians in the well, world are, you know, are violent. And that's what I was right? trying to get at. Now, yeah, if, 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 somebody, if somebody does believe those violent passages, that can lead to some pretty bad things. But I don't think exactly. most do. And it's all how you interpret it. it. Realistically, I think the problem that we have here, especially in Canada and Ottawa, is it's a mental health problem. You, know, you 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 know follow you take any of those you know words and you you take them you know you take them into an account and you have a mental health problem um, and you and you can realistically get yourself into a little bit of trouble. There may be some of that, Zachary, but I can't think that all of these guys that are being radicalized are suffering from mental illness. But thanks for the call. Yeah, last okay. last call goes to you, and thanks so much for joining. Thanks for everyone for calling in today for participating. It's been a blast. We'll join you again on Thursday when I sit in for Mark Sutcliffe on the chat room. My name's Brian Lilly. Remember, facebook.com slash brianlilly or email me, brian at therebel.media.